Please pray with me. Lord of glory, it is good that we are here. In confidence, we listen to your word spoken this morning. In peace, we lift our voices in prayer, praising your holy name. In trust, we confirm our faith in you, and we accept the invitation to your table. Lord, help us always to set our faces steadfastly on the path you walk. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Gospels don't indicate the name of the high mountain that this amazing event took place although the traditional contender is Mount Tabor. Um, That is well supported by theologians beginning in the 3rd century. But uh, later scholars have also suggested maybe Mount Hermon, because it is closer to uh, Caesarea Philippi. But I will say that uh, when I was in the Holy Land, and most, uh, I'm sure, Seth, this is true for you as well, Uh, Holy Land tour guides will take you up a very twisty, turny, winding road to a beautiful, beautiful Franciscan church at the top of Mount Tabor. Uh, And this is the traditional site of the transfiguration of Jesus. And you can immortalize that moment in your own puny life, you know, with your camera and your photo diary, I was privileged to do so on March 1st in 2001. So preparing for this sermon, I went back and pulled my diary out and looked, and I noted that it was very peaceful there. I cherished, in fact, what was most important to me besides the absolutely beautiful church was the sense of peace and calm And also that they gave us, for the first time in four days, ten minutes on our own, where we didn't have to listen to anybody or hear any stories. Ten minutes just to be there and to imagine in our own minds this amazing moment. And I could picture Jesus inviting his three closest friends to accompanying him, the day's walk, the winding journey to the top of the mountain, up to that high and beautiful place. And I did take a picture. But unlike my photo op, what the three friends of Jesus experienced, Peter, James, and John, what they experienced was quite unlike anything else in their entire lives. They experienced on that mountain a visual and a physical change in Jesus. And it left them absolutely gobsmacked. They were ready to stay there forever. You hear the impetuous Peter calling out, Let's build booths. (laughs) Let's stay here. And in fact, uh, Seth and I were both part of a board of trustees meeting yesterday, and the bishop was musing about this And he said, 
Um, when you go there, you'll see church upon church upon church upon church that has been built there over the centuries, ruins on top of one another. And then you'll see this beautiful Franciscan church there now. And so the impulse to build a booth, to immortalize and freeze frame that moment and mark it as a significant and holy place is very much present. For Peter, James, and John, Jesus was literally transfigured before them, changed in appearance, um, a metamorphosis of some kind. Mark tells us that his clothes became dazzling white, so at, such as no one on earth could bleach them. Heightening the experience, I think, for those three faithful disciples of Jesus with the presence, the vision, and the perceived reality of two significant leaders in the Jewish history, Moses and Elijah. Now Moses, of course, we know had received God's ten great words upon a mountain of his own, carrying those tablets down to the people. And Elijah, who we heard about in First Kings, the reading from First Kings, uh, had um, had been caught up in a whirlwind. Uh, such was such a true and honest prophet, um, a, a spokesman for God on earth, and was so um, revered that he was caught up in a whirlwind and received into heaven. And the prophecy was that he would appear again before the Messiah came to earth. So this is all this history, all this emotion is in the minds of these three persons as they look up and they see their friend Jesus transfigured before their eyes with these two um, amazing figures flanked on either side and yet Jesus emanating more strongly and then fading a bit. The whole experience was so unusual and so powerful, and I imagine terrifying to the friends of Jesus that they scarcely knew what to say or what to make of it. And then they heard the soundtrack. They heard the voice come. They heard the heavenly voice say, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The entire experience was a profound, supernatural phenomenon that they could only witness and wonder at for the rest of their lives. Years later, when writing his letters to the churches in his second letter, Peter would write that the power of the transfiguration was so great, he wrote, we did not, we meaning the three of us, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. We ourselves heard God's voice come from heaven while we were on that holy mountain. Can you imagine that event? The transfiguration was not only 
a shining hour for Jesus, but it was a transformative event for Peter and James and John. An event so compelling that they would devote the rest of their lives to carrying that message and to dying for that Lord that they saw transfigured on the holy mountain. This was, in fact, their shining hour as well. Now what, I wonder, can the transfiguration of Jesus say to us these thousands of years later? Remember that the experience was a profound event for Peter and James and John. Remember that they wondered and they shared that experience with others for the rest of their lives. But maybe we also can grasp this morning as we prepare to enter the holy season of Lent, perhaps we can grasp and honor that shining moment of transformation, not just for Jesus, but in our own lives. Noting with wonder the positive changes and events that we encounter in individuals, in cultures, in societies. We are dragged down continually by the negative examples. But we need to remember that on that, in that moment of transfiguration, those disciples saw something amazing and hopeful. And we, too, can find moments that are amazing and hopeful. Not transfigurations, to be sure, but transformations. In our own spiritual lives, we might take as a Lenten discipline this year to be looking for and reflecting upon our own shining hours and how we might move that forward for the benefit of our Lord and in, in walking in example of our Lord. Now, when I say our own shining hours, I'm not talking about the wonderful and affirming moments of personal accomplishment, the times when we're honored by others. That's great. That's wonderful kudos, and we're always uh, needing to hear some good things like that. But that is not what I'm talking about. Rather, I'm talking about a time when you understand that you are feeling a spiritual glow, that you are experiencing an epiphany in your own spiritual life, a transformation in the way that you view, think, or react to things. Some time or event that in retrospect led you to an entirely new course of action or a different way of being. Sometimes they are not always in the happiest moments. Maybe your shining hour came when you were lonely or in despair. And at that darkest moment, you suddenly knew with confidence, you absolutely knew the Holy Comforter was there by your side. And you were so sure of the goodness of God that it changed you in some way. 
What about the moment when you were able to forgive a long-held and well-nurtured grudge? We all have those, don't we? Those hurts and those resentments that we've hung on to so long that they're almost a part of our skin, and we really don't know who we'd be if we were to take the chance and let them go. But suddenly, through the grace of God, something shifts in you, and you are able to let go of that hostility. And you recognize that you're a different person than you were the day before. Maybe you feel lighter. Maybe you feel happier. You feel relief. You feel joy. And you feel a spiritual connection. We might climb a hill in our lives. I think many of us do. We have many hills before us still. We've climbed many previously. Maybe hills that we climb not ever expecting much change. But we will have a moment when suddenly and without warning, God may present us with an opportunity. An opportunity to be of great value to some person or some cause through our willingness to see differently. And I think for us, that's what the transfiguration can be. It can be that moment when Jesus changes our vision. When we look at something, when we respond to something, when we open ourselves to something, to seeing something differently, and to being used by God differently. We may have to jettison some assumptions, uh, not only about who, uh, who we're helping, but also some assumptions about who we are. I'm not the kind of person who... But in a transformational moment, you are the kind of person who. You might be invited to sacrifice some of that comfort zone and see differently how the world works. But most importantly, you might catch a glimpse, a holy glimpse, of how, with God's help, you will be able to make a difference in Jesus' name. So my invitation to you this Lent is to pray for such a moment. To pray, my brothers and sisters. And when it happens, I can promise you, God will use it for good. So let's pray now. Lord Jesus, change and strengthen us in the days and weeks ahead. Make us ready to embrace the way of the cross, however it may be presented to us during the coming season of Lent. Lord, we pray that through your suffering and your steadfast faith, that our hearts and our lives may be strengthened and that we might be transformed to reflect your glory. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.